Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, episode 116. We need more strength coaches in administrative leadership roles in big organizations. Basically, I'm just saying you need to get a seat at the table. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by longtime collegiate strength and conditioning coach at the University of Texas, Donnie Mabe. Coach Mabe, welcome. Coach, thank you so much. It's so good to see you and hear your voice, and I appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, so you have been at the University of Texas for 23 years now. Is that right? Yeah, going on 24. Yeah, it's been a, been a little long run here. So That's awesome. Uh, assistant Athletics Director, overseeing Olympic Sports Strength and Conditioning. Let's uh, kick this episode off kind of in the usual fashion. Tell us your story in the field, how you got started and up to where you're at today. I'll, I'll give you the uh, condensed version, but in a nutshell, grew up in Tennessee, got into football and just fell in love with the weight room, was very undersized and just fell in love with the weight room, even at a young age, uh, grew up in a very... Um, I'd say dysfunctional home, wasn't very happy. So the weight room was a great outlet for me to grow and find a good community and just build some confidence and purpose. So went through high school, was good enough to get a full scholarship, played football at Georgia. Even fell in with the weight room, love in the weight room more there. Um, Got to a point in my career where I was just getting way too big and too strong, if, that, if you can believe. I just was a meathead, basically. And my performance was going down and just kind of set out on this self kind of uh, discovery to figure out why am I not getting better on the football field. Led me to a guy by the name of EJ Doc Crease, my junior year, and actually trained with him the summer of 1991 and started doing a lot of speed strength methodology, training snatch, cleans, plyos, med ball work, um, a lot of uh, speed interval work, stuff that we all use commonplace now. And man, my, my performance just took off and I had a great, had a breakout junior year and just was totally sold and just transformed my, my uh, playing time on the field, had that big of an impact. Uh, end up blowing my knee my senior year in the spring game and knew pretty much knew my career was over and had to figure out like, okay, now what am I going to do for a living? And Doc had always told me like, hey, if you ever want to get into this profession, he says, I think you'd be pretty good. So I'll give you a shot. And so I ended up interning, leaving Georgia in 93, January of 94, interned at Colorado. And if you've ever interned back in those days, man, it was like, it was like a, it was abuse. <laughs> we did everything from, I did everything from like pick up kids, uh, personal <laughs> things for my boss, um, you know, worked crazy hours with no pay. I mean, it's just different back then, but I really, it was hard on me coach and it took a, it took a lot out of me, but kind of made me into who I am today. I feel like, and uh, so intern there for about a year and a half or about six months, then went to a part-time for a year, another year, and then went to full-time after that. And then we came from Colorado to Texas in 1998, kind of as a 
bottom of the rung assistant, worked with football and a lot of other Olympic sports and just have worked my way up the ladder here at UT uh, from 98 till currently as we speak now and just, you know, still love the profession. I still get a lot of satisfaction and just significance out of seeing young people grow and develop over their three and, you know, three and a half, four and a half year span here in, in, co in uh, sports and also just working with coaches, just building a performance team. I think that's kind of how it's changing, but just still absolutely passionately love doing this. So That's awesome. And, and you've been at Texas for so many years now. I don't think a lot of coaches can really speak to that being at one institution for that significant portion of, of your career. And now you get to oversee uh, the program. Talk about your staff and how your department runs and just kind of that evolution of how things have progressed over your 23, almost 24 years now. Yeah, no, I, I know I, I was uh, named as director of Olympic sports. It's been 10 years now, 2000, 2010, 2011. And I was clueless on how to lead a department. Um, probably made, feel bad for a staff when I first took over. You just kind of, just kind of, you know, fumble your way through it. I mean, I had an idea, but you kind of learn as you go. Um, we've had we've had some staff turnover over the years. Mostly, I'd say, whether somebody just didn't work out or they got a better job, or just even we've had some older coaches uh, change uh, professions. And that's just the the kind of natural uh, uh, career path for a lot of coaches, I think. Um, our staff now, there's myself and six other staff under me. And we just promoted four of them because they're getting seasoned. And we've just done some restructuring here recently, four of them uh, to associate head coach. And then what that just means, coach, is that they, they carry their same teams, but they pick up a little bit more administrative responsibilities and they just start getting groomed. If they ever want to take that leap to be a director and start grooming them for that kind of role uh, versus back, you know, <laughs> When I was an assistant, like there was no kind of titles like that back then. It was just you're an assistant. And so definitely have progressed in just the way we even change our titles and and uh, give people responsibilities. So it's been very, very beneficial that way. So four of our staff just got promoted, two of them are assistants. Again, I feel like we have incredible staff here. I think first and foremost, we got great character on, and integrity on every staff member. And then I think they have good chemistry and they have great competence. So I th those are the three C's I always talk about, but um, just incredible staff here. That's great. Uh, you know, what are some of the teams you're working with right now? I know you spoke at the 2022 Coaches Conference uh, this January and uh, on rotational athletes, some of your volleyball uh, experiences. What are some of the other sports you're working with? And uh, give us a little bit of a snippet from – your talk at coaches uh, for anyone that missed it. Sure. Yeah. Those are my two teams I currently oversee and directly manage is uh, women's volleyball and men's tennis. I mean, prior to that, I've had, ex had a lot of experience with football over 17 plus years with football. I've trained men, men's and women's golf. Um, I've, I've worked with uh, track and field, women's track and field here. Uh, I had soccer for a little bit. And then I've assisted with swim and rowing over the years, just kind of fill in where I've needed to. So definitely had my hands, uh, whether it's directly leading and managing or just assisting a bunch of different teams. Um, so yeah, it's been kind of, I think that's always been the sweet spot for me is just the challenge of 
learning new athletes, cultures, uh, working with new personalities, and just figuring out ways to get kids better and, and make them really love and enjoy coming in the weight room. That's always been a challenge, I feel like. Um, for the clinic, for the, for the coaches conference, you know, I titled my talk is the golden connection. And man, over the years of just working with overhead athletes there, I have just found there's this connection between the shoulder and the hip and the coaches talk touched on, um, oftentimes we'll do a lot of shoulder work, right? If we have a shoulder problem. And I got this kind of from Dan Path years ago, but sometimes where the injury occurs or the problem is occurring isn't always the root of the problem. And so oftentimes I've found with these overhead athletes, they have an overhead, they have a, excuse me, they have a shoulder issue, whether it's something that's anterior or more posterior, uh, or maybe there's some impingement in there or something, but oftentimes it comes from the hip and vice versa, right? If you lack some anterior mobility in the hip down, down below, and it's a little tight, then you're going to have to overreach with your shoulder and kind of, kind of stress and strain that over time. So it's not always about just trying to uh, do in prehab or getting things stronger, more mobile up top or down below, but it's finding that connection. I mean, we even had one time coach, uh, it's been probably seven, eight years ago. We had a, an all American. He was a freshman at the time. Um, kept having these ab strains, that we just could not figure out um, in the front of his, his, you know, his rectus abdominis. And come to find out, it was coming out of his hip, you know, his serve. And uh, we started working, I started working on some stuff with his hip, the anterior capsule on that hip, opening up, lengthening that. Um, and then, you know, just maybe doing more postural work with the shoulder because uh, he was already strong enough. But man, once we got that opened up, the coach, I'm not kidding. I don't think he ever had another issue after that. Again, it was that hip shoulder connection. Mm-hmm. It's a little thing. So definitely some of that, I think, uh, scapular health as well. Uh, it's going to be a big piece of your shoulder hip connection. Um, even I think even today, I know it's it's kind of a, a big thing too. Your 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 hip can really fall, uh, flow right into your lower back, right? And if you've done anything, so we're talking like the front right of the hip shoulder. If you go backside of the hip shoulder, you get into the lateral sling, you'll see with a lot of real big servers, um, you know, they'll be really tight on one side. It'll come down and crisscross over into the QL and cross back over into the glute med. And they'll start to get their hips rotated, anterior, posterior rotation, just a little bit. And then they start having back problems. So again, that's that hip, anterior uh, shoulder here, anterior, posterior hip uh, on the opposite side. So again, I think that's the big thing. Uh, there's so many combinations that you got to look for and know that not only the anatomy, but how it functions. And then also exercise prescription on things you can do to not make it worse. I hear that and it's uh, ringing a lot of bells for me, kind of coming from my baseball background. And, you know, one thing I think we overlook on the baseball side a lot is there are other overhead sports that have a lot of uh, unique physical challenges that we can learn from you know, for whether we're talking about throwers or, uh, and now we're going into volleyball serving, uh, jumping to, to serve a tennis ball and just some of the unique demands there. So I, I think it's good that we're starting to expand to some of these other sports that are becoming popular, that are putting strain on our athletes, 
and we can learn a lot by bringing together that conversation more collectively. And uh, so I really appreciate you uh, bringing that insight. You know, one thing, you know, I've heard you speak a few times just from your experience and now you're in this leadership role, you oversee young coaches and you, you talked a little bit about that. You know, I want to ask you about mentorship of young coaches and just experiential learning internships, you know, like you mentioned, that's a big part of our field. It still is today. And, uh, or maybe graduate assistantships, depending on where, where you're coming out of, how do you, uh, how do you view, view the role of internships and now in your more senior role mentorship for young coaches? And what advice do you have for young coaches getting into the field? Yeah, great question. I think how I view internships or externships, however you want to word it, I think it, to me, the initial, uh, if it's maybe if it's your first or second one, I really feel like you're just kind of testing the waters. I don't mean that you're going in there like half-hearted, but I just mean that like, hey, is this something that you really would like to do? Because I don't, because I do, and not everybody may not agree with this, but I do believe there's value in an internship if you, because you're going to get some interns that just don't work out. And man, better off for them to know now that they don't want to do this and they're not going to be really good at it than to wait like later down the road. So I think it's, there's value in good and bad in the, if you have a, a tough experience as an intern, that maybe there's a different area or, or lane or, or venue that you want to kind of coach in or do different things in besides uh, strength and conditioning. So I think there's value in that. Um, so that's what the internships with young coaches with full-time young coaches that, you know, there's a lot in that one. Um, I think it was several years ago, Coach, it's funny you asked that question. We kept, um, we would have, every time it seems like I'd get somebody in a good spot, they'd leave for another job. And I'd be like, wait a minute now, like, <laughs> I don't, what, this, this is not what I signed up for. But then, then as I kind of got to talk, when I was talking to my wife about it, she goes, babe, she was like, that's, that's your role. It's like, you got to mentor young strength, strength coaches and professionals and train them up and send them out. I mean, that's just part of your role as, as a leader. Oftentimes is, is just developing, equipping people and pouring into them to make them better. And so I think with that, you know, I think the biggest thing coach, um, what I've just seen that this young coaches struggle with initially is just how to carry themselves when they get in these bigger meetings with, with uh, head coaches that are pretty, some of them can be intense. And so just knowing how to like talk them off the ledge, so to speak, you know, make them feel secure about the job you're doing. And I think that takes a lot of listening, you know, really listening and then being able to ask the right questions with that coach and um, and then also if, if you do get put on the spot, how do you how do you respond in a way that's not knee jerky or defensive where you can actually walk out of that room and actually have won their trust over versus erode that trust. And so that, that's a skill that takes time to develop just like anything else. And you, I don't, you just don't learn it any other way besides being in the, being in the grease, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. sometimes you just gotta you gotta get in there and go through it and go man well that was a lesson i, I learned i'm not gonna do that again you know <laughs> and uh hopefully the you know the young coaches can make you know make some mistakes that they can come back from and not something that gets them run out of there so um i think that's the biggest thing is just teaching coaches how to 
to really think, to take the big picture in perspective and how to really listen and ask great questions with, with uh, sport coaches. It helps. You know, you mentioned kind of taking this, taking some of these challenges home, talking to your wife about it, you know, and I think coaches, we, we do that. You know, we bring our work home with us. We wear, wear our heart on our sleeve at times. Uh, I heard you on Christian Hartford's podcast recently, uh, Dad Strength, talking about the importance of family in the field. Share a little bit of that with us, just how important family is to you uh, and just sort of the journey of family in this profession. No, yeah, I would love to. I think um, something that's just been kind of, it's the deep, uh, I would say, core of my heart and who I am as a person. As I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a divorced home. I have some pretty painful, you know, memories of that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm way up better now, but growing up um, through high school, through college, even in probably even into my uh, early years of working, I had some really painful uh, experiences and memories and stress on me from my parents. Just they didn't get along and just some, a lot of stuff that went on there. So when, when I started coaching back in the, you know, the early 90s, mid 90s, one of the things that kind of like I was very passionate about, uh, I wanted to have a, a strong marriage. And I know that's hard, that can be hard to do in coaching because you're gone a lot. Actually, my first job, um, my boss there, Doc, he went through a very, very painful divorce and walked, you know, through some of that with him. And um, I knew I didn't want to, you know, work all these years, sacrifice, and then, you know, all of a sudden my family be blown apart because I just was an absent dad. And so I think that's something that's been so important to me over the years. It's just, I, I don't know, Eric, I don't think balance is the right word to use. I think that's tough. Um, I would say a little bit more, just being a, a dad or, or, or mom that's engaged. Um, just like you work at your, your profession with passion, you work at your marriage with your spouse with passion. You work to build that up just, just as well because it's important. Uh, if you don't put time and effort into it, it, it will get worse. And so it's so important to me that my, my wife and I, not only are we, we get along, but um, that we're really good friends. I mean, we're coming up now, man, coach. I've been coaching almost 30 years. We're, on, we're getting on the backside of this thing with my kids. We're going to be empty nesters soon. <laughs> so, man, it's kind of life's coming back full circle. I almost feel like I'm back in college again when we first met. Um, and uh, we, we're, we're having more time where we're just alone. And I'm thankful that we have a, a really great friendship, my wife and I, even now. And uh, it's something you look forward to if you do it right. So it's not your career, I don't think, is ever worth blowing your family apart. No career is, I don't feel like. Uh, it's never worth the sacrifice. I love what I do here. But if it was going to rip my family apart, I'd find something else. So thankfully, at Texas, they support that. And so I would encourage coaches. I'll say the only thing with that is it's not where you work, it's who you work for. And you need to find somebody who's got the core value that values you having a healthy family. Because if you're a better dad or a better mom, you're a better coach. You know, it makes you, you're more compassionate, you're more understanding, you're more patient. Um, you, you know, if you can lead home really well, you can lead at work really well, you know. And uh, again, but you just got to work on it and kind of figure out how to build those rhythms out. So, yeah, I mean, it, some great advice there. You know, all, coaches are, 
coming in at different stages. You know, you're, you're almost at that empty nest stage and I'm sitting here in a full nest stage. You know, I got, <laughs> I got four young kids, uh, pounding on the, pounding on the floor upstairs as I'm recording this podcast. And, uh, you know, some coaches, young coaches in the field aren't even there yet. They're not even thinking about family and kids. Uh, maybe they're just putting, pouring all their energy and heart and soul into, getting that first full-time job or, or finding an opportunity. And it's important to think, you know, it's important, like you said, balance may not be the right term, but you sort of got towards being engaged and in, in showing energy and, and that same enthusiasm on the, on the home front as you do on the work front. And I think for us coaches that are so passionate about this craft, this, this field, dedicating that same energy, elsewhere that can be a challenge you know and uh man it's such a i mean i'll be honest with you that was a that was a fear for me getting into this profession i knew family was important how was i going to have a great family life with all the with all the moving around or travel or jumping at a new opportunity and uh i think a lot of coaches uh face those those challenges you know yeah and i think Practically speaking, there's times you're just going to have to schedule time. If you really want to build your family, like coach, you know, if you got a, a good enough staff that works around you, and that's, again, credit to our staff here, um, I can very comfortably and confidently take time away if I need to to go be with my family, and they understand it too. And I'll do the same for our staff. If they got, they need to get away and, and just get a resharpen or a refocus and kind of uh, refresh themselves for a few days or a week, like I'm good to cover for them. And so I think it's all about, you know, we have a, a performance team for a reason. I'll never forget uh, my first job at Colorado. The, the first, my first coach, this was crazy. The first summer I was there, coach Bill McCartney, this is 94. Uh, Doc and, and the assistant Dave Plettle were wanting to go to Mexico for like a, like a little just to go do a little, um, they were gonna work with a football team there and spend, basically get away with their family a little bit. And uh, Doc told Coach McCartney, uh, I, I got this offer to go, but I can't go because I just can't leave the room. And Coach McCartney looked at him and he goes, well, why do we hire them, him then? If he can't cover the room, why do we hire him? And so that was my first summer as a young strength coach. I covered the room for a full week. And man, it I, I worked my tail off, but it was good for me. And so I think, you know, to my point is you're going to have to schedule time to let some of, some of the other staff cover for you and you get away and spend time with your wife and kids or go take the vacation or, or go to the, the dance recital or the football game or the baseball game. And, you know, it's jobs going to go on without you. So you might as well get somebody covering and go put time into your family. So it makes a difference. Do you think, you know, you mentioned Texas is uh, really values, you know, family and, and you being able to be well-rounded in your life. You know, do you think the field has evolved uh, as a whole? Do you think we're better than we were years ago in, in giving, uh, giving coaches time for other areas of, the, of their life? Or do we have a long way to go? I think we're more aware of the need for that. I don't, I think, again, it goes back to, I always say people don't quit the organization. They usually quit their boss, right? If you got a boss that just grinds on you and I mean, I've been there and done that. Like 
you got to be, you got to beat your boss in. You got to stay after he leaves. I've been on that, that little carousel. That's not fun. Um, and I'm not into just kind of collecting hours in a weight room just to be here. I've done that, got the t-shirt, got the water bottle. I'm good. So I think, I think in many ways, uh, we've gotten better, but I think in, in, in also there's still some kind of horror stories out there, so to speak, you know? Yeah. I think where we haven't grown is, and this, this is a whole nother podcast episode, but just salaries are still just not where they should be. Um, I think quality, if you, if you're good at what you do, not only should you be, you know, have time to be sharp at that and, and be able to go home and be, have some energy for your family, but you should be compensated. So you're not stressed out with money. So I think that's the piece I feel like that needs to kind of come up more than ever is just coaches being compensated for the hours and expertise. We're still posting. I think I just got a job. Somebody post's got a job open somewhere for like 40 something thousand. I mean, most of these coaches got masters and that's, that's less than teachers make, you know, and they're going to probably work 60 hours a week or more, mm -hmm. you know, especially for the one of those kind of more entry level jobs. So I think that's, I think we're more aware of it, but the salary piece has got to, that's got to change at some point, you know, because people just can't do it. So anyway, another topic. No, I, uh, I agree with that. I think uh, that's something we pay, we pay attention to at the NSCA quite a bit. And, you know, I, it's easy for us to say things have improved, you know, jobs have gotten better, you know, and maybe salaries have increased over time. I know we're coming up on our second uh, NSCA salary survey here soon, and we're going to see what, how the numbers reflect and have changed over the past few years across different audiences. But uh, I think anyone in the coaching profession knows we get a long way to go. We've, none of us have ever gotten into this for the money. Uh, and we, we can joke about that, but we, we do kind of work in overdrive a lot, you know, from an hour standpoint, the 60, 80 hour weeks. I remember I was a, in my gateway into coaching, I was a football GA and, uh, you know, I, I always joked in my pro ball years, I was like, man, these, these 80 hour weeks are, are easier than my hundred hour weeks as a football GA when I'm sleeping under the desk, uh, breaking down VHS tape because it was the, the year or two before we went to digital right. tape breakdown. But, uh, you know, it's, you just think back on that and we can all see growth. We can all see change. We know there's a lot of, um, need, you know, still in that area. And I think it's, a an area I like when I see coaches come together and, and voice that and try to be constructive about it. And we're still making our institutions better. We're, we're working towards it. We're advocating for ourselves. We're advocating for each other. From what you've seen, what, what are some other areas we can better serve ourselves on that, that front? Maybe speak to some of the, the leadership role you have when you're advocating for coaches. Yeah, no, I think, I think the one thing, you know, aside from the topic we're on, we need and this is something I've been working on and it's hard to do what I'm about to say. It's so hard to do. And there's been a few people out there that that's done some of this, but we need more strength coaches in administrative leadership roles in big organizations. Basically, I'm just saying you need to get a seat at the table. Um, because what I, you know, the frustrations that I've dealt with, I'm sure you've dealt with this at some point, everybody has, 
you got somebody in administration who's never coached before, typically, again, I'm being kind of general here, but they've never coached, never worked in a weight room, but they're making decisions on how we should do our jobs. And I'm not saying they can't have input, but ask them to sit down and write a six to eight week block, two cycles, uh, a micro mesocycle um, for four different types of athletes on a team with undulating periodization, you know, with the mobility, change of direction, conditioning, recovery, and do that and be able to adapt and adjust that, you know, from game to game and week to week. I mean, who can do that up in the, up in the business office? No, nobody, not one person <laughs> can do that. So you, so my point being, you need somebody who's got that kind of background that understands that language that can be that bridge and that gap between the weight room and then what's going on. Cause then they can communicate how valuable those people are, how hard their jobs are, their needs, their, their pain points way better than, than, uh, than they can. So I think that's the, that's the one area I see that would make a, a game changer um, in our profession is getting more, just even creating more, just the, just those titles and roles in administration uh, for strength and condition will be, well, huge, huge. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, it goes beyond head strength coach. Now, you know, I think when we got in, you were an assistant, you know, you got, you, well, you started as an intern or a GA, then you became an assistant and you wanted to be the head strength coach, but now there might be a athletic director type role or a performance director. Uh, another area that's expanded a lot is sports science and the performance sciences area and technology. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about that. What are, what are some of the big areas that uh, Texas is latched onto in the performance technology area? How has that changed programming and the role of your staff? Oh yeah. That's something that has, um, that's something that's definitely, I'd say the last specifically the last two, two to three years, specifically to uh, Travis Volantes is our director of sports science here. He's expanded his staff. He's got, let's see, two new staff upstairs over the last year, year and a half. I think he's adding a data analyst soon. I mean, dude, this, this thing is changing so fast. And so now where you, so you could quantify, you know, intensity, volume, sets, reps, and load in the weight room. Now, you're really starting to see with, with technology, what Travis is doing, you're quantifying practice loads. Now the, and, and I know most coaches are experiencing this as well. And what you'll see at first, coaches don't like it. Um, what they don't like about it is it's just initially, they don't know what they got a hold of. It's, it's very, uh, it's a new language. It's a new way of doing things. So it's very frustrating at first. And you get a lot of conflict with it at first, pushback. But over time, what you'll see that once they get a little familiar with it and you start figuring out, oh, this is kind of, these are what we want to keep a close eye on with athlete monitoring and fatigue monitoring. It helps you. You're still doing what you normally would do, but it allows you to adjust the path that you're on and make some course corrections or interventions that you normally may keep going off the cliff, you know, so to speak. And so I think it's just been, uh, I can always use the word, it's been more evolutionary, not revolutionary for us. So small changes over time, educating, 
being patient, understanding, giving a little bit more at the first, and then just, you know, kind of being patient with the process, the frustration of that. So it does pay off. It does make a difference. And you're just, I mean, ultimately, you just want that 1% advantage over your competition. And so that's what you got to do to get there. But that's how it's changed us big time. Just quantifying practice loads has been huge. Yeah, that's, um, we're seeing that a lot. NSCA has a new uh, certified performance and sports science certification, which really focuses on those science, scientific processes of performance. And I get to speak a lot to just how integrated the performance world has become across, you know, we, we've seen it with nutrition at the college level. We've seen it obviously strength and conditioning, but just the collaborative conversation with athletic trainers now with sports science performance departments, it, it really has ballooned. It's grown. And we're, I think the real big challenge is us all coming together to, you know, have this common language that, that helps the athlete helps the institution and takes us forward. Yeah. I want you to get your crystal ball out for a second here. You know, you've seen a lot over the years, spoke a little to maybe where we're going on the technology front, but where, uh, where do you see the field going the next five to 10 years? And what are some of the new things that you see on the horizon? Now, I really feel like with technology, it's, I think that, that that's the future. Um, you're going to see more and more roles of these, these uh, almost like directors of, I don't know, I don't know if sports science is the right, but you're going to see more and more of those roles popping up. It's going to be the norm. Uh, I feel like I feel like the other piece of this is going to be just the athlete wellness. I think we're going to have a lot more understanding here coming, like within the next probably two to five years of just the what stress does to these athletes' bodies uh, from the academic to practice to the social uh, and I think there's going to be a big change in just how practices are done how we stress the athletes out how we there's going to be a um, I don't know I just see these it's, it's starting to happen now but these big recovery kind of wellness centers um, because athletes are not getting better mentally and so and just sprinkling it in there is not going to get it done so just like, just like I think you can track, you know, fatigue with force plates, you're going to be able to check, you know, mental health and stuff like that wellness uh, here in the, in the very near future on the brain waves and sleep and all that's going to be able to be monitored. And I think that, that there'll be a bigger push towards um, building your, your rhythms, your rituals and practices around kind of how athletes are responding to that, you know, dosing things like that. So, because you can measure it now before you had to always guess and just, you know, say, Hey, you got to be tough and get over it. So I think that's going to be the future. I really do. Yeah. Now we, the science has been around for a while. We keep publishing and there's new articles all the time, but the technology's really made this information more accessible to us on a daily basis in our weight room settings. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate that, that insight, um, for anyone listening in, what's the best way to get in touch with you? If they have questions. Uh, if you want to, you can always reach out to me, um, social media. I, I'm pretty decent about responding. My Instagram is just Donnie May, B-O-N-N, um, M-A-I-B, at Donnie May. And that, uh, I think my Twitter is, Coach, I can't remember. I think it's at Coach 
Donnie. So I think it's a little different, but uh, those are usually the best. Yeah, at Coach Donnie, that's correct. And uh, those those are the best ways. So that's awesome. Reach out anytime. We'd love to connect for sure. So I, you know, I, uh, Coach Mabe, I appreciate you taking the time today. I, uh, I think this episode really speaks to the value of, of strength and conditioning coaches at various stages in their career and the skill set that we have and, and what we provide our, our institutions. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time today. Oh, my pleasure, Coach, and appreciate what you guys are doing there at the, the NSCA and uh, this, this awesome conference you put on. We appreciate you guys. Thank you. And to everyone listening in, we appreciate it. We also appreciate Sorenex exercise equipment. We appreciate their support. From the NSCA, thank you for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. We serve you, the coaching community. So follow, subscribe, and download for future episodes. We look forward to connecting with you again soon and hope you'll join us at an upcoming NSCA event or in one of our special interest groups. For more information, go to NSCA.com. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.